Would turn your Bibles with me to Revelation chapter 11. Five o'clock service, we will be in Revelation 13, by the way. So you can join us for that, five o'clock. We'll be in Revelation 13. Revelation 11. All right, let's pray, huh? Ask the Lord to bless our time together this morning. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for this beautiful morning, Lord, that you've blessed us with to be together. Thank you for gathering us and being with us right here at the center of your church. And now as we just settle our hearts before you, Lord, we've come not only to worship you, give you thanks, to honor you, but we want to hear from you this morning. We've come to hear from you, our Lord, our Savior, our Shepherd, and to be touched and transformed by your Spirit. And so, God, have your way in our hearts today. Do those things that only you can do. Minister to us. Meet us, please, right where we are at. And so we thank you ahead of time for the great things that you are going to do. May you be honored. May you be blessed this morning. And it's in your precious in your holy name, Lord Jesus, that we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 So we left off in chapter 11. And just by way of reminder, um, it is the revelation of Jesus Christ, the revealing or the unveiling of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, in all of his majesty, all of his beauty. I don't know about you, but for me, this has been such an amazing study, just seeing Jesus in a fresh way, in a new way. And not only are we seeing Jesus in a new and a fresh way, but we're going to see how he's going to fix what's wrong with the world. Because the world needs some fixing, correct? And we see how he's going to accomplish that. Um, we are looking at a future event right now in chapter 11 that's going to happen. And it's, it's towards the middle of this period known as the Great Tribulation or the Tribulation period. How long does that Tribulation period last, by the way? Seven, seven years. And so seven years... It begins with, I had a discussion with someone this morning, and uh, it begins with the signing of a, uh, of a peace deal, some kind of covenant the Antichrist will make with many of the Jews in Israel. That's what kicks off this tribulation period. The rapture can happen at any time, you guys. It is imminent. The rapture, and I'm speaking about when you hear that term rapture, it's Jesus coming for his church. We will meet him in the air, and he will take us to the Father's house, to the place that he's preparing for you and for me. Is anybody excited about that besides me this morning? Can't wait. Jesus said to be ready, to be watching, to be about his business, because he is coming. And so chapter 6, all the way through chapter 19, is this period that we're talking about as the tribulation. Chapter 4 and chapter 5 always precede chapter 6 through 19. Correct? In chapter 4 and chapter 5, we see the church in heaven. We are out of here before the tribulation period, I believe. And so that's reason to rejoice again this morning, that God has not appointed us unto wrath, but to salvation. So beautiful. And so during this time period, this, it's also known as the day of the Lord throughout the Old Testament, this tribulation period. And it ends in chapter 19. Jesus comes back again to this earth to set up his kingdom for how long? thousand years, also known as the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. I'm, anybody excited for that too? That's going to be so killer. I can't wait. He's going to set up his kingdom for a thousand years. That's in chapter 20. And then chapter 21 and chapter 22, the new heavens and the new earth. And we live happily ever after. Hallelujah. We know how it ends. Right? Isn't that beautiful? God's word. Again, I don't think uh, that God um, intended us for, for us not to understand the book. But he gave us, again, that awesome outline in chapter 1, verse 19, to help us to understand this book. And so we are in this period again, the tribulation period. And you remember from last week, John was given a... What was John given to eat? A, a little book by this giant angel, Right? And we recognize that it was, it was him receiving the word of God to consume the word of God. 
He needed a time to be a time to be refreshed, a time to be uh, encouraged. Because think about the things he's been seeing. Pretty heavy, huh? Can you imagine seeing the things uh, in reality? He, John is seeing all these things happen during the tribulation, all the brutality and the darkness and the wickedness and the evil happening. He's watching all these things unfold before his very eyes. And I think personally, chapter 10, we see this intermission or this interlude where John is given a book, he's given the scriptures to be encouraged, to be, to be recharged, to be... Do you guys ever get worn out? Anybody here ever get worn out? Sometimes we get worn out by the things we hear. Sometimes it's by the things we see also. And that's a great time to get back into the Word of God. To be encouraged in the Word of God. To be built up in the Word of God. So, so that's where we were last week. And now we begin chapter 11. And it says in God's Word, chapter 11, verse 1, Then I was given a reed like a measuring rod. And the angel stood saying... Rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. But leave out the court, which is outside the temple, and do not measure it. Why? For it has been given to the Gentiles, and they will tread the holy city underfoot for 40 two months. So let me draw your attention to verse one. It says, then I was given a read. Who's I, by the way? John the Apostle, correct? So John the Apostle is given a read and a read, it says like a what? What does it say? Like a measuring rod. It was a unit of measurement in ancient times. A, uh, a reed was nine feet. We know, how, you guys remember the cubit? Any of you guys have been around for the study in the Old Testament? Remember the cubits? We read all about a cubit is from the elbow to the top of your finger. It's 18 inches. There's also a span which goes from pinky to, to thumb. Uh, I think it's nine inches. Uh, and then a hand breadth is three inches right in the middle of your palm also. So those were, that's how they measured things in ancient times. So John is given this read by an angel and he's told what? To get up. Again, he's been feeding on the Word of God, correct? You guys remember from last week? He's been feeding on the Word of God. And now this angel says, get up, and you need to measure three things. What's the first thing he's told to measure, you guys? What's the first thing he's told? To measure the what? Measure the temple of God. Listen, the Jewish temple will be rebuilt in Jerusalem and will begin to function again. That's, that is a given. That will happen. Are you with me this morning? Plans are already underway. The preparations. You can go online and look at the Temple Institute to see all that's been involved in the planning, the preparations. It is all, but there's one problem. Because who has control of the Temple Mount? You guys know who has control of the Temple Mount right now? The Muslims do. It's a problem. It's not a problem for God, by the way. It's a big issue, but God is into fixing big issues, isn't he? And so that temple will be rebuilt. And if you go with me, not this November, the following November to Israel. We're going to check that out. We're going to cruise up onto the Temple Mount, and we're going to see one of the places where I believe that temple is going to be rebuilt. And so some details need to be worked out in order to be rebuilt, but it will be rebuilt. There's four passages. Listen this morning. There's four passages in Scripture concerning the rebuilding of the temple. This is one, if you're taking notes, Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. Matthew 24, verse 15. Am I speaking too fast? I'm so excited. I'm sorry. Got to chill out. Got to mellow out, dude. Daniel 9, 27. Matthew 24, 15. And 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3 through 4. So check it out. Daniel 9 tells us, again, how the tribulation will begin. The Antichrist is going to sign some kind of peace deal, some kind of covenant with many of the Jews for seven years. It's a seven-year covenant. Halfway, how long will halfway be? Three and a half years. He is going to break the covenant. So it tells us in Daniel 9.27, he's going to break the covenant with the Jews and he's going to do something. 
I'm going to read it. In 2 Thessalonians, I just gave you the verses. 2 Thessalonians, what chapter was it? Chapter 2, thank you. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, it speaks of the Antichrist, what he's going to do. Paul writes, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. Those are some names for the Antichrist, the man of sin, the son of perdition, and here's what he does, what he's going to do, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So midway through the tribulation period, three and a half years, he goes into the rebuilt temple, and what does he do? He demands to be worshipped as as God. He's going to demand worship. And the Jews are going to realize this guy is not our friend. This guy's not the Messiah. He's not a savior. He is a deceiver. And Jesus spoke specifically concerning this incident, the abomination of desolation. You guys remember that phrase? Matthew 24, verse 15. Jesus spoke concerning this. Jesus said, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, Standing in the holy place. Whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Isn't that interesting? So Jesus says, when you see this happen, when you see the Antichrist go into the rebuilt temple, demand to be worshipped, get out of Dodge. Flee, take off, pray that, that, that your flight doesn't happen on the Sabbath. Why? Because everything shuts down on the Sabbath over there. It's very Jewish in flavor. That whole, that whole Olivet discourse is very Jewish in flavor. Because what's going to happen when they refuse to worship the Antichrist? Guess what he's going to do? He's going to persecute the Jewish people terribly. And we're going to see that next week in chapter 12. And so the first thing that John is told to measure is the temple, the rebuilt temple. And then second, what does it say? Rebuild or measure the rebuilt altar. And so what's going to happen? This is going to give PETA a very hard time. You guys know what I'm talking about, PETA? Aren't they the guys that don't like eating meat, right? Right? Am I right? Is it PETA? They protest people eating meat. I thought it was people eating tasty animals. Is that wrong? Something like that. Anyways, the altar, what was the altar for? It was for people to, for in the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, you bring your bulls, your goats, your offerings to the Lord for your sins. And so, they, so that's going to be reinstituted during this time period. The whole religious system is going to be back up and running in Jerusalem. And so the third thing, what is John told to measure? Those, what does it say? What? Those who worship there. You know what that tells us? The Jews are going to regather to worship at the temple with the altar in Jerusalem. They will bring their sacrifices and offerings and try to relate to God based upon their own performance, based upon their own works, based upon their own efforts. And so, um, can I ask you guys a question this morning? I'm going to ask lots of I always ask lots of questions, don't I? Is this rebuilding? Is this worship that's going on, the sacrificial system, is this endorsed by God? Is it prescribed by God? Did God tell them to rebuild the temple here? No way. No way. In fact, the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 10, the blood of bulls and goats cannot wash away our sins. But bringing those bulls and goats over and over and over just reminds us that we're guilty before God. There's no, there's no cleansing. There's no washing of the guilt. Only Jesus can wash away the guilt, the pain, the stain of sin fully and completely. All of those sacrifices pointed forward to Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. And so this is not sanctioned by God. Forgiveness is not found there. Worship is unacceptable. This denies the finished work of Jesus Christ. And besides that, that, that's a big thing, isn't it? It denies the finished work of Jesus Christ. That means it's an abomination to God. Because what they're saying is what Jesus did on the cross was not sufficient. But who's the, the Bible tells us who's the temple in the New Testament? 
we are. Not only individually are we the temple of God, but corporately we are the temple of God, correct? 1 Corinthians tells us that. Peter talks about that also. How does, where is forgiveness found? It's not found in the, the blood of bulls and goats. It's found in Jesus Christ and him alone. And not only that, we look at this. How does one become righteous in God's sight? It's not through our own efforts. It's, it's through trusting in Jesus Christ and him alone. We're given the free gift of righteousness. And so, how does one approach God? Again, it's not through bulls and goats. We approach God through Jesus Christ. Correct? We, correct we, we, we come through Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And so, this is not prescribed by God. This is not endorsed by God. And there's further instruction. Look at verse 2 with me. Check it out. What does it say? John's told, don't include the courtyard Outside the temple, don't even measure it. Why? Well, we're told why. It's given to the Gentiles. Gentiles. Who are the Gentiles? Non-Jews, right? Non-Jews. It's given to non-Jews. And what are they going to do? They will tread. They're going to crush the holy city underfoot. What's the holy city? Jerusalem. Jerusalem for how long? 42 months. You know how long that is? Three and a half years. So when the Antichrist comes into the rebuilt temple, proclaims himself as God, turns on the Jews, what's going to happen? There's going to be a serious persecution of the Jewish people. They're going to be trampled. Jerusalem's going to get trampled underfoot. The Antichrist will pour out his fury. And I mentioned we're going to see that more in chapter 12. So someone needs to minister to these people. Correct? You've got all these people involved in this, this false religious system. All these people that are, that are trying to relate to God on their own works, their own righteousness. Someone's got to minister to them, correct? Someone's got to tell them the truth. Did someone share the truth with you? Someone share the truth with you guys? Aren't you glad? You know what? God knows what he's doing. He brings people into our lives, doesn't he? Does, does God bring people into your life? Is it accidental? Is it an accident? Coincidence? No way, man. God knows what he's doing when he brings people into our lives. I am so grateful for those people that had the boldness, the courage in the Lord to share the good news with me. But I know now, even now, God brings people into my life that I know that he's using to mold and shape me, to knock off the rough edges. Can anybody relate? God bringing some co-workers into your life that are... Need some loving, right? Need some Jesus. <laughs> God, <laughs> correct? Doesn't God bring people into our lives? You ever wonder, why is this dude, in my, this gal in my life? It's like, Lord, really? Like, do I need this? And you know what the Lord would probably say? You need this. Because I love you. You're my child. I'm, you're, I'm the potter. You're the clay. I'm molding and shaping you. I want to use your life to reach people. Just like people reached out to you and ministered to you. And so God is so wise. He brings the right people into our lives at the right time. Because look what he does in verse 3. Check this out. These people need ministry. And it says in the next verse, God, God's word says, And I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days, clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. Can you imagine having a ministry like that? <laughs> Turn or burn, baby. <laughs> wow. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. These have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. And they have power over waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. And so heavenly power is given to how many witnesses? Two, Two witnesses. What does a witness do? Tells the, tells the truth with their lives, right? With their lips, right? A witness uh, gives testimony, it gives testimony specifically for us as witnesses. We give testimony to Jesus Christ that he is alive, that he's living in our hearts, to the good news of Jesus Christ, that he can do the same thing in your life, 
that he's done in my life. He wants to provide forgiveness and a, and a fresh start with you to save you, to rescue you. So there's two witnesses, God's special witnesses on the scene at this time. And it says they will prophesy. So they will be speaking forth God's word. They will be sharing, forthtelling, foretelling with God's word, proclaiming truth for how long? 1,000, what did your Bible say? 260 days. That's, by the way, that's three and a half years again. Three and a half years. So I believe this is happening during the first half of the tribulation. There's these two witnesses there that are there at the rebuilt temple. And what are they doing? They're ministering to all the people that are coming to offer their sacrifices, sharing the truth with them, ministering to them. And what are they wearing, by the way? Saks Fifth Avenue clothes. What did you guys say? (laughs) Sackcloth. Like a gunny sack, like a potato sack. I mean, that's itchy, gnarly, feels terrible. But it's, it's, it's an outward sign of what's going on internally. They're broken. They have a broken heart for these people. It should break our heart recognizing that there's people that around us that are going to hell for all eternity. They're broken. And they're letting everyone know we're broken on your behalf. We're sharing this with you because we love you and care about you. And their ministry will occur for this certain, exact, precise time period. And, and God's word says, look at verse 4, these are the two olive trees. What is that talking about? Is it speaking figurative, possibly? Jesus said, you are the light of the world, right? Let your light so shine before men. You are the salt of the earth. That's kind of figurative, isn't it? All olive trees in the Old Testament are used in relation to Israel. Maybe they're Jewish, possibly. Um, it also speaks of fruitfulness, olive trees in the Old Testament. So perhaps it's speaking figuratively. It also says they're two lampstands. In other words, they're shining, right? They're shining for the Lord, standing before the Lord. They represent the Lord of all. I, I think personally, this is a fulfillment. If you're taking notes, I'm going to flip there. Zechariah chapter 4. So some people view this figuratively. Some people view this as the fulfillment of Zechariah chapter 4, verses uh, 11 through 14. And it says, Zechariah answered and said to him, What are these two olive trees at the right of the lampstand and at its left? And I further answered and said to him, What are these two olive branches that drip into the receptacles of the two gold pipes from which the golden oil drains? Then he answered me and said, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No, my Lord. So he said, These are the two anointed ones, literally sons of fresh oil, who stand before the Lord of the whole earth. So some people see these two guys as the fulfillment of that prophecy in Zechariah. By the way, the context, you guys remember the context of that? Zerubbabel is leading 50,000 Jews back from Babylon after captivity to rebuild the... Who built the first temple, by the way? David. Who first... Who? who? David prefabbed it. Solomon built it. Second temple built by... Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, thank you. Zerubbabel, and then Herod kind of, you know, put the finishing touches on it, cleaned it up, did a kind of little, you know, beautiful... Fixer-upper. Zerubbabel comes back after 70 years of captivity. Zerubbabel cruises back, makes the 900-mile journey with 50,000 Jews, and they come back to rebuild the temple. And guess what? Things got difficult. Do things get difficult serving the Lord? Do things get difficult walking with Jesus sometimes? Does anybody never have any problems? If you, all, if you don't, please come pray for me. <laughs> Listen, anytime you step out to serve the Lord and God's doing a radical work, there's going to be issues. It happened with them. The enemies came and and they stopped the work. The enemy will try to stop the work in our church. The enemy will come in and try to divide us, try to cause problems in a fellowship. And if we just do what Jesus says, guess what happens? Those things just get diffused. We keep loving him, loving one another, keep moving forward, right? Like, like the Apostle Paul, energize your bunny time. Take a lick and keep on ticking. Right? But anytime you're serving the Lord, doing His Word, the enemy will try to stop you, try to stop the work. 
There's issues that happen, difficulties that come, tribulation with a small t happens in our lives also. And that's what was happening. Zerubbabel ran into problems. The crew ran into problems. And that shut down the whole work. And they're sitting around. And all of a sudden, what does God do? Again, God is so good to bring people into our lives. He brings two prophets. The prophet Zechariah, which we just read, and the prophet Haggai. You guys remember Haggai? You're going to meet him someday, by the way. Those two prophets, God raises them up. And you know what God says through Zechariah? Hey, this issue that you got in front of you looks like a mountain. But God's, God says it's going to be a plain. It's going, to get, it's going to get removed before your very eyes. It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. In other words, it has to be a work of his spirit. And when it gets done, Zerubbabel, you're going to be shouting, grace, grace. I didn't deserve this. I didn't earn this. And it's always a work of his spirit. Listen, you guys, we always must look to his spirit to help us, to his empowering, to be filled with the spirit. Not to be under the influence of anything else, but to be under his, the influence of his spirit, led by the spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so I believe what's being communicated here in Revelation is that these two witnesses, they are empowered by the Holy Spirit. They are doing what they're doing under the influence of the Holy Spirit, empowered by God. And some people say, some people view them as... Moses and Elijah. Anybody here from the Moses and Elijah crew, you believe this is Moses? And there's a few. Don't be embarrassed. If you believe this is Moses and Elijah, I'm not going to. There's a couple of people that believe this is Moses. That's cool. Remember Jesus met with them on the Mount of Transfiguration? You guys remember that? Their ministry sounds familiar to them. And how about, is there anybody here, Enoch and Elijah people? Any Enoch and Elijah? First service, we had like 10 people. Enoch and Elijah? No? Remember Enoch and Elijah? They both, they didn't. They both got personal raptures, right, into heaven. Some people believe this is Enoch and Elijah. How many of you just don't know at all? Thanks. Don't lie in church. It's okay. You can raise your hand. It's good. That's, that's cool. Hey. Or it's two prophets that God's going to simply raise up at this time. And so if you want to lay your hands on them, you want to hassle them, harass them, you mess with them, you're going to be roasted with fire. <laughs> that sounds like Elijah, doesn't it? Second Kings 1. <laughs> They've got supernatural protection from their enemies. Listen, no one can take their lives before the proper time. So important. God wants to get the heart. God wants to get the hearts of these people to rescue them. Notice in verse six, the two witnesses have God-given ability to do what? Close up the skies, prevent rain during the duration of their ministry. Who does that sound like? Elijah also. <laughs> Right? They also have God-given ability to turn water into blood, bring plagues on earth. Who does that sound like? Moses. Moses. Yep. In verse 7, look what it says. When they finish their testimony. I've got that underlined in my Bible. When they finish their testimony. That's an important phrase. These two witnesses have a race to run and to finish. Listen, you have a race to run. And to finish also of giving your testimony for Jesus Christ. When they finish their testimony, what happens? The beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them. So the beast, will learn more about him later in chapter 13. This is, a, this is another name for the Antichrist. The beast, he's connected with the demonic realm, the bottomless pit. He's going to fight against these two witnesses, prevail against them, take their lives. And you know what he's going to do? You know what happens when he does that? He's going to gain some momentum. He's going to get some traction. He's going to get some fans. He's going to get some people on his side. But look what happens. It says in the next verse, verse 8, And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. So the two witnesses' dead bodies are left out right there. Uh, by the way, what's, where's the city that our Lord was crucified? Jeru Jerusalem. So this is where this is happening. But notice with me, the city of Jerusalem deteriorates so bad spiritually that it becomes like what? Sodom and, and Egypt. What was Sodom known for? Sexual immorality. What was Egypt known for? Idolatry. 
So think about this with me. You got the rebuilt temple, you got the altar, you got the sacrifices, offerings, you got the religious trappings going on. Here come the worshipers, you know, all the all the, the smoke and barbecue and horns tooting and all that going on. And it's all, listen, it's all a religious facade. Because what are they engaged in? Sexual immorality and idolatry. And you know what? It happens all the time in the church today. I'm not talking about bringing bulls and goats. I'm talking about people coming to church with a full-on facade, the religious trappings, external show. I come, I sing my songs, I listen, I get a personal pep talk, and I go through those doors, and all of a sudden, I'm involved in stuff I shouldn't be involved in. And the Lord knows, and He sees. And this is, there's another woe here. A woe is a call to repentance. It's a wake-up. Because it may seem like you're getting away with it. You are going through the religious motions. And you're thinking, I'm okay with the big guy upstairs. And you are not okay. You're not okay with him. You need to repent and place your trust in Jesus Christ and him alone. Open your heart to him to do a work to change you, to mold you, to shape you, to make you into the man or woman that he desires you to be. Not play some religious games with God. Bring in some phony worship. You, he, wants, he wants the real deal. He doesn't want phony. He wants a real relationship, and it's only through Jesus Christ. And so, look at verse 9, what happens. So they're, dead, they're, white, they're killed. Their dead bodies are laying in the street. They're not given a proper burial. Look what it says in verse 9. Then those from the peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days and not allow their dead bodies to be put into graves. So look at no proper burial. And the whole world sees what's happening for three and a half days. Was that possible 20 years ago? Is it possible today? Sure is, isn't it? Right, so what's going to happen? You're going to have CNN broadcasting this, the channel of the Antichrist. Right? Just making sure you're with me this morning. <laughs> That's my own personal opinion. I'm, I'm reading into the text a little bit here. <laughs> but here, the crowd, what's the crowd doing? They want to shame them. It gets, it gets even worse. Check it out, verse 10. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them, make merry, and send gifts to one another, because the two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. They are, the, peop, the, the people are full of joy. They're celebrating. This is an anti-Christmas right here. They're sending gifts to one another. They're whooping it up partying. And notice what it says. Why do they do this? Because these two prophets annoyed them with their preaching. They were sharing the truth. Has that ever happened to you? You're sharing the truth with someone and they're tormented. They're mad. They're bitter. They're like, get away from me with that. But you can't kill them, otherwise you'll get roasted <laughs> with fire. So now they finally get killed. The Antichrist pulls in. Their, their mission is accomplished. Mission over. They're killed. But it ain't over. Look at the next verse. This is so great. Three and a half days later. So think about that. Decomposing body. And those who dwell on the earth, it said, will rejoice. And then verse 11. Now after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them. And they stood on their feet, and great fear fell on those who saw them. Isn't that awesome? God just breathed life into them, and they're back, they're back on the scene just like that. They're resurrected right before their very eyes. That is so beautiful. God reveals his power. Listen, life comes from God, by the way. Life comes from God. That's, that's, how, that's how we were created, by the Lord. You're not an accident. It wasn't random. It was the Lord who, who, who you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Who, it was God who made you in your mother's womb and breathed life into you. And so God breathes life into them. And then verse 12, it gets better. Can you believe this? How could it get better? It gets better. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. I don't know if that's what it sounds like, but it was loud. 
boom. And they ascended to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies saw them. It's just like, remember when Jesus, Acts chapter 1, ascends into heaven? These guys are, they get resurrected, and then all of a sudden, come on up here, come home. And they're, I want to if they were like, in your, uh, that would, that's what I would do. Pray for me. They probably, they're, they're way more holy and godly than I am. And I'm like, yeah, man, check it. <laughs> it's bad. So they head off into the sky, into heaven. Their enemies are watching. In the same hour, there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. So a tenth of Jerusalem, boom. In the earthquake, 7,000 people were killed. But notice this. And the rest were afraid and gave glory to the God of heaven. That phrase, uh, gave glory to the God of heaven. So the, the survivors, the 7,000 that survived, the, uh, the, those that survived, um, that 7,000 were killed, the survivors, they gave glory to the God of heaven. You know what that means? That's a, that's a Hebrew idiom for they gave their lives to the Lord. They surrendered. They gave, they gave their hearts to Jesus. And so the second woe is past. The second warning The first one was at the fifth trumpet. This one came at the sixth trumpet. Now the seventh trumpet, the third woe, is coming quickly. Then the seventh angel sounded. Do-do-do, he blows his horn. And there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. Ever. So the seventh angel toots his horn, and what's the response? What happens? There's an accompaniment by a loud heavenly chorus, and what do they say? The kingdoms of this world are what? They're now going to the rightful owner. It all belongs to the Lord. It's going to him right now. He will rule and reign eternally forever and ever. You know what? Simply it's saying the Lord's taken over. Even though it's, it's not the second coming, the second coming is coming. There's eight more chapters. Isn't that interesting? They, heaven says this right here, and there's still eight more chapters to go. His plan will be fulfilled. His plan will not be stopped. All of his promises are yes and amen. And amen. So look at the response, what happens to this proclamation. Look what it says with me. Verse 16. And the 24 elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was and who is to come. Why? Because you have taken your great power and reigned. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come. And the time of the dead that they should be judged. And that you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. So what's the response here? What is it? What's the response? Worship, right? Who do the 24 elders represent, by the way? The church, you guys. This is the third song that we're going to sing that we learn about. Remember the first song was in chapter 4. We sing this worship song about God being our creator. We've been created for his pleasure. You guys remember that? It was a while ago, I know. Chapter 5, we sing the song that he is our redeemer. You guys remember? We've been redeemed by the blood of the lamb. And this song now that we're going to sing, and by the way, you will be singing this song. So this would be a good one to learn. Don't want to look like a fool when you get there. What do we do now? This is the song we're going to sing. And it speaks of what? It speaks of God being our king, and he's also judge. And so the redeemed bride of Jesus Christ, the church, we leave our thrones, we fall face down, right? And worship the Lord. His second coming should compel us to worship, you guys. His second coming should compel us to worship. And I think when we have a clear understanding of God's greatness and His majesty, we demonstrate humility and give glory to Him. 
you worship the Lord, you know, he's seeking those that worship him in spirit and in truth. Worship means to ascribe worth. That's what the word means. And I think we should worship the Lord in all areas of our lives, personally. From our obedience to him, when we obey his word, we're saying, Lord, you're worth it. I believe you are worth it. I'm going to obey you. When we trust him, when we walk by faith, we're saying you're worth it. I believe you, Lord. I trust you. You're, worth, you're, you're worthy of being obeyed and trusted. When we take steps of faith, we're saying, Lord, I believe that you are worthy, that you're going to meet me here, that your promises are yes and amen. I believe, listen, that he, he deserves all my life, worshiping him with everything I have giving him the glory and the honor he deserves, saying to him, Lord, you are worthy. Not just singing a couple songs on Sunday mornings or listening to some tunes on the radio. Saying, Lord, my, you, you are worth all of my life. I give you my life. And the first thing, what's interesting to me, what's the first thing that comes out of their mouths, out of our mouths? What's the first thing that comes out? What's it say? Thank you. Thanks. The giving of Thanks. To our supreme, all-powerful, all-knowing, eternal God, we give thanks for what he has done because you have taken your great power. You're bringing about your righteous kingdom. I love this. The nations were angry. All the kingdoms of the world were mad and furious against God and fixed opposition against him. Your wrath has come. God, your righteous anger and judgment have come, have arrived. When the world's anger collides with God's wrath, who wins? Isn't that like a no-brainer? But this is the only way that his kingdom can come. And his judgment, his wrath has been measured, by the way. In his wrath, he remembers mercy. Have you guys seen that as we've studied the book together? God keeps reaching out and reaching out, trying to save human beings that are shaking their fists against him. Just like he did in our lives, using people, using circumstances and situations that we might come to that place of surrender. Otherwise, if you don't come to that place of surrender, what's the next part of the song? You're going to be judged. <coughs> and either you will stand before God as Savior or judge. It's all, you win or lose by the way you choose. It's that simple. But there will be a judgment. If you reject Jesus Christ, you will be judged and you'll be sentenced to the eternal lake of fire. And God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And he's reaching out to you right now. If that's you this morning and you don't know him personally, he's reaching out to you right now. But for those of you who know him, you're serving him. Look at that promise that he's going to reward who? His servants, no matter small or great, no matter how rich poor, unpopular, popular you are, if you are serving the Lord, guess what? He's going to reward you. So this praise, this worship song goes up, not only because God is judge, this worship and praise and thanks that God is a God of justice, but also that God gives us what we don't deserve. He's a God of grace. Do you deserve those rewards? I don't deserve those rewards. I mean, think about it. You come to that place, you surrender to Jesus Christ. He comes and takes residence in your heart, and he does these awesome things through your life, and we get rewarded for it. Well, that's a great deal, isn't it? <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank you. You guys ever thank the Lord for that? How awesome that is. He's equal opportunity. doesn't matter how rich, how poor, how smart, how dumb, whatever. Everyone that serves him, you're motivated by love for your Savior, love for others. God says you're going to be rewarded. That's why Jesus said, store up your treasures where? In your attic? No, in heaven. In heaven. Store up your treasures in heaven. Do you serve Jesus this morning? Are you serving? Are you storing up your treasures in heaven? One day it will be worth it. And then look at the last part of the song we sing. And should destroy those who destroy the earth. Those who've been bringing ruin upon others will be ultimately ruined. And it's sweet, you know, it's a sweet and bitter song to think about. Like last week, we talked about the sweetness and bitterness of God's word. It's sweet, his kingdom's going to come, but it's bitter. There's going to be people judged, that there's going to be people destroyed and wiped out because they've been walking in rebellion, destroying other people's lives. But that's the reality, you guys. God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay 
And he does everything he can that you might come to know him and surrender to him. Because he loves you. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But I look at this song. How can there be so much joy, but the king is not reigning yet? We're in, I mentioned that a minute ago. We're in chapter 11, and there's still seven more bowls of judgment coming. We haven't reached chapter 19. How can there be so much joy and thanks going on? Because from heaven's perspective, it's a done deal. Can I remind us what it says in Romans 4, 17? It says, God gives life to the dead. We just saw that. And spiritual life to us, right? He's made us alive. God gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. From heaven's perspective, this is a done deal. Jesus said something like that in John chapter 16. You guys remember? This was before the cross, before his, his suffering, and before his, his resurrection. Jesus said to his disciples, and he says it to you and me this morning, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Does anybody have that on their wall, their promised calendar at home? How about this next part? But be of good cheer. Remember what Jesus says next? I have overcome the... This is before the cross. That's before his suffering. Before his awesome resurrection. He's saying, what? I've overcome the world. You can have peace in me. Hey, you're going to have some hard times, but you can have peace. Why? Because I've done it, man. I did it. From God's perspective, it's a done deal. And you know what that should cause us to do when we see his promises? And they don't seem like they're going to come true. I'm biting my nails and so hard. I should say, thank you, Lord. Because from your perspective, it's a done deal. You're working all things together for good. Those that love you, I love you, Lord. I've given you my life. You promised that. I can chill. I can relax. I don't have to stress out, eat a bunch of comfort food or whatever. Or pace back and forth. I can say, Lord, it's cool. Thank you. I don't know how this is going to work out. But you promised to work it all things together for good. And this is one of those alls right here. There's more month than money, Lord, but you told me to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness and that you provide. So I'm just going to keep seeking you. Make you number one in everything. You know what the Lord does? Does the Lord take care of you? He does, doesn't he? He takes care of you. Because he promises to. He sees it as a done deal. We get all sketched out and all freaked out and all weirded out. Correct? And we just need to say, okay, Lord, I trust you. I will worship you. I'm going to ascribe worth to you in this situation. And give you thanks. Listen, unthankfulness, listen this morning. This is going to be a heavy word for some of you. Unthankfulness is a sign of someone not filled with the Holy Spirit. I know it's it's tough. That's a tough word for some of us this morning. But unthankfulness is a sign of someone not filled with the Holy Spirit. How can you say that, Pastor? How can you say that, Pastor? I'm not unthankful. I'm just ungrateful. (laughs) Because the Bible says so. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Right? Don't be under the influence of alcohol or whatever. In which is dissipation, in which is a waste. You're wasting your life. You're wasting your brain cells. You're wasting your gifts. You're wasting your talents. You're a waste, man. Because you're wasted. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled continually with the Holy Spirit. And what's the result going to be? Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Right? Is that what it says? Is the Lord hearing the melody in your heart? Gang. Listen, I know life's difficult. It's hard. Is the Lord hearing the melody in our hearts this morning? Singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. And something else. Also, talking to one another what? Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Giving thanks for all things. What does all mean in the Greek? It means all, doesn't it? (laughs) Giving thanks is an evidence that I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. All things means all things. 
Life is rough and it's difficult. We can still be thankful. Amen? Amen. Look at that. There's one more verse. Because we saw that we saw the temple that's not legit. Here is the legit temple as we close. Then the temple of God was opened in heaven, and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple. Wait a minute. I thought Indiana Jones had that thing in the Smithsonian. What's going on here? Because don't sometimes people say that to me. They're like, where's the temple at? Isn't it? In like Egypt somewhere or in, in Africa? Or isn't it in the underground Rome? Whatever. I saw Indiana Jones, that movie. Didn't he get it and bring it back to New York? Or? You know what I say? Read eleven nineteen, man. God, I mean, th- think about that. He opens up the heaven. Like you step into, Ran- like step into Walmart or Randall's in the door. Heaven opens. The Ark of His Covenant was seen in His temple, and there were lightnings, noises, thunderings, and earthquake, and great hail. What's being communicated here? You know what I think is being communicated? Open house, man. The door is still open to get to heaven, to come to heaven. God's not done. There's more, in other words, there's more room in the Father's house. God wants his house filled. And guess who he wants to use to help fill it up? Us. We've been called to preach the gospel. Is that just for the, a select few? The few, the proud, the spiritual marines? Is that who it's for? Is that for all of us? Yes. It's for all of us to make disciples, to share his love with people to cooperate with the Holy Spirit, to say, Lord, help me here. Fill me, use me. You know what he's going to do? He's going to fill you and use your life. And it will count for all eternity. Amen? Amen. In Jesus' name. Lord, thank you so much this morning. I pray my precious brothers and sisters would take away those things that have come from your heart. Lord, anything else would be blown away like chaff, God. And that, oh Lord, we would grow in grace and the knowledge of you, that you'd use our lives in a special way that you'd fill us afresh this morning. you tell us to simply ask. And that you, Father, would fill us. And so thank you. You made it that simple. We can come to you, Jesus, to be filled. That out of our hearts would flow rivers of living water. You made it so simple just to come to you, to learn from you. And so as we've come to learn from you, Lord, help us to walk in the things that you've taught us that we might bring you honor and glory.